The Women in Agile podcast series amplifies the voices of outstanding women in the Agile community. We are dedicated to sharing the wisdom and inspiration our community has to offer by telling our stories, being thought leaders, and having open conversations with our allies. This series is brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. I'm your host, Leslie Morse, and today we are chatting with Marsha Acker. Marsha is a leadership and team coach whose passion and expertise is helping leaders and teams identify and break through stuck conversations that get in their way of high performance. Marsha is the CEO of Team Catapult, a leadership development organizational change firm founded in 2005. She's the author of the forthcoming book, The Art of Science of Facilitation, How to Lead Effective Collaboration and Agile teams. She is also a co-founder for the IC Agile Coaching and Enterprise Coaching Learning Tracks. Marcia, thanks for making some time to talk with me. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I am too. Especially um, I've, uh, when we met at the Agile 2019 conference, I got yeah. one of those cards for previews about the book. <laughs> so I've kind of been hanging on every word of things <laughs> and I'm ready for it to get here. <laughs> me too. <laughs> um, yeah. So you, the way that we've been starting a lot of these conversations um, for this Women in Agile series is sort of mm-hmm. exploring people's, what I like to think of as their Agile origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, so what what was it that brought you to Agile? Did you find it? Did it find you? How did that work? Yeah, it's a great question. I, um, I So I started my career in... Um, kind of as a project manager systems analyst Mm -hmm. and spent quite a bit of time um, working in a large company and then transitioned to a really small startup. And that was back in uh, 98, 99. And it was in that small startup. So I was kind of known as the process person. I was the person sort of putting processes in place, helping project managers do schedules. It was a real small company. So I was sort of introducing structure and process to how we developed. How uh, dare webinars. you? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, yeah, I think I, I think there were probably moments where I wasn't liked as much, but um, that was kind of how I, it was, we, what we were trying to do was develop software and deliver it on time with, you know, every, everything met that the uh, customer was expecting and we were challenged by it. It was a startup company. And so um, I was trying to put structure in place and I worked with some amazing technologists uh, at that company. Uh, I think we were all really close. Many of us stay in touch even today, but the CTO and um, a couple of our lead developers and one of our lead program managers uh, stumbled across um, a book on uh, extreme programming. And they started passing it around and asking people to read it. And uh, it was interesting, but I was like, I don't really know, like, what is extreme programming? And I don't think it really makes sense for me. So I'll let you all handle that. But then what started to emerge was um, they started experimenting with it and trying it. And um, I was big into facilitation. So I, I actually came to professional facilitation before I ever came to agility. And I had been practicing facilitation, teaching facilitation, even in that organization. And um, what I started to realize is people were defining, starting to define requirements on index cards rather than use those spreadsheets that we had created. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, this looks like a fascinating facilitation technique. Um, maybe, I, maybe I should learn more. And um, I had a kind of troubled start with agility because 
I came at it from a, like, we're trying to control this more. And what was starting to emerge from the development team was actually we're trying to um, let it emerge more. And that really didn't resonate. It didn't land for me at that moment in time. So I had a bit of um, a tangled start with agility. And I was like, what are we going to do with the index cards? They're going to lay on the table. And then what happens when the cleaning crew comes in at night? Uh, and they're just going to fall off into the floor. And um, so, so multiple iterations of that. It took me about a year to finally now, start. What would you see. say were have you been able to identify what it was? What was that edge you were playing with mm. around maybe not wanting to go all in? Because I'm making up all sorts of stories about what it could have yeah. been. <laughs> yeah. I think it was lack of control. Like, like it okay. felt that was like, my that was my number one guess. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was all about, um, you know, we've got projects that are running behind. We've got requirements that we're not tracking well. We've got ex missed expectations between the end user and the development teams and. Um, and that's, you know, what I was, you know, I was sort of the voice of more process, more control. And they were bringing this, like, ah, not so much. Like, we're going to put on an index cards and we're going to work. We created this bullpen and we put everybody, you know, we put the whole team in the bullpen. And um, I was like, ugh, like, how do you, how do you work with this? It's so funny to say it now because I see it so differently now. But if I really yeah. tap back into what it was like, that was 1999. And I was quite resistant to it. Um, I, so I feel like I had this internal battle or struggle with figuring out how do you do that and can, and still control it, predict what's coming or um, manage, you know, make sure that you've got everything under control. So it was a, it was a big sort of internal battle with control and feeling like it yeah, was lots of control. And a totally normal battle, right? Yeah. Even with the organizations we work with today, yeah. um, and, and we've been as an industry doing this for you know more than two decades now. Yeah. Um, uh, people still have that age-old challenge. It's like I almost wish we um, there was an actual way way back machine for our mm -hmm. brains mm -hmm. and our emotions, so those of us that have been doing this for a long time could go back and really pinpoint ah this is that edge I was really up against. And this was what I kind of unlocked within me in order to help cross that. Yeah. Cause I think it's, we all have revisionist history on our yeah. agile origin stories. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I'm very sure mine comes out a lot rosier than it really should. So I'm glad that you talked about the challenging part of it. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, um, I would imagine, I'm not sure what, you know, what the group that I worked with at the time would tell you, but I, the way I remember it, it's um, like, I think I was really difficult at times, you know, resisting, opposing uh, what was happening, but I didn't have a really good solution um, for what, what to do instead, because some of the things that I was trying to impose were, were much more structured and laborious, like they added a lot more time to it. And it is, you know, I do have that moment where I look back and go, we've, you, like you just said, for two decades, we've been talking about this. And and there, I have moments where I'm like, why is it not any easier today? Like, why are, why are people still, um, what's this thing about control um, that seems like it's an edge for a lot of us to cross? Yeah. Well, I think we're humans. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's a oh, there's natural, that. yeah, <laughs> that natural, that, that darn natural innate quality to want to control the things around us. <laughs> So I am curious, Marcia, when you think back to that team, what was the diversity dynamic there? Mm. 
Oh, that's a wow, that's a good question. Um, we uh, <laughs> the yeah back back at that team, I was um, I guess in the company overall, we had uh, quite a few women in leadership. The company was actually owned by a woman. Um, and we had quite a few women on the executive leadership team, uh, and I was one of those. But in the development side, um, there were less, much less, so much, much more male-dominated company in that yeah. space. Do Do you have any memories of how that impacted that journey for you? Mm. You know, I I don't feel. Like my memories of that organization, I don't feel like it impacted me. Um, I didn't feel that there. I actually had left an organization, which is a huge consulting company, uh, for the very reason that I felt like I was pigeonholed into um, one, because I was uh, female, and two, because of my age. I was ready to move forward and conquer. And um, in that particular organization, there was, this, there was a very clear path. Like you had to put in your time and um, it, it just, there was, there was a, like the word glass ceiling felt really, really true in that particular organization. It was one of the reasons I left. Yeah. So I, I want to talk about that a little bit because I think, um, there are times when right now, especially for people younger in their career, there's so much conversation about equality and things like that. Sometimes mm -hmm. we can be lulled into a false sense of it is a more, fa a more fair playing ground than it used to be. Mm -hmm. So in addition to things like, oh, we j I just had to put in my time and you had to go through all of these steps. What were the things that you were picking up on and you were noticing that made it feel like, wow, that glass ceiling is real and I'm really mm -hmm. am being pigeonholed? I think the, um, I had, there was a woman who was in the executive leadership role in that organization. She'd been there for years and she was, um, a mentor of mine. I would certainly have considered her a mentor. And then I also had a direct, um, boss who was also a female and I looked up to them. I thought they were amazing, but I watched, I watched them a lot and I noticed, um, it was a very, a uh, heavy male dominated um, leadership culture. And there would be these executive meetings where you'd have to come and um, there was a certain way you had to act. And we did a lot of, I, I live in the Washington DC area. So a lot of that work was with um, the government and with military. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. there, was, there was that added layer of um, who we were interacting with and interfacing with. And I just, I watched them do really good things and not get noticed as well for it. I can say that now. I think right. looking back right. at that moment in time, it, I couldn't probably have identified it as well as I can now. I would have just said, I felt like I could go nowhere here. Like every okay. time okay. I would be up for, um, there were just too many, there were, too, <laughs> there were too many hurdles to cross, too many boxes to check. Every, you know, job descriptions were pages and pages long, things, skills that you had to build and uh, years of experience that you had to have. And I just said, I don't need 25 years of experience to um, 
to be valuable to an organization. So thanks, but I'm going to go carve my path somewhere else. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so with this, and, and I, um, I'm glad that you're, before I kind of move on, because I realized I was moving a little quicker than I wanted to. Mm. I think that is an important distinction is sometimes when you're in it, you can't just feel it. It's just this sense of there's no way out. Yeah. Versus explicitly kind of only being able to separate yourself from it and kind of take that meta view. Yeah. Are you able to go, oh, this is what was really happening. And when you're in the middle of it, maybe unless you have a really good coach that can help Mm. reveal it to you, you probably can't find that in the moment. I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? So I think sometimes when you're in the muck of something, you're so close to it, you just know in your gut, like mm-hmm. there's some, there's some intuition that's telling you, this just doesn't feel good. It's right. not, I don't wake up and go, you know, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's like, let's go. I, I, I pay more attention to that nowadays than I would have then too. But um, I use my you know, I use that sort of internal gut sense of like, it just doesn't feel right. Or this feels amazing. Let's do more of it. That's great. That's great. Yeah. What would you, what did you notice about those sort of those feelings and those sensations when you first identified yourself really with the agile community? Cause in that story you told, you're like, Hey, we're at the startup. They found that XP book, all of mm. this happened, but that and finding agility through that doesn't really mean like, Oh, I'm part of the agile community now. So yeah. what, what was that like? Well, you know, so I, um, that particular organization, um, I ended up going out of business. It was right after 9-11, actually, that we closed our doors. And um, the I was ready um, to move on anyways, because at that point, I had, I had f- really begun to fully embrace um, some of the principles behind agility. We didn't really have the Agile Manifesto. It hadn't really emerged as the thing that it, we know it today. But what I could identify with that I wanted to pursue more was... Um, the the people in the interconnectedness. So I had always had a passion for facilitation and sort of bridging gaps between like developers and end users and using facilitation skills to do that. So so those concepts um, began to really land for me uh, out of my um, work with that development team. And so I began to move away from being in the role of um, project management or overseeing sort of the process side of um, development and move more into organizational change and consulting. So I moved, um, I left that organization and went to a, a smaller org change consulting company. And that was where I really got my feet wet in what organizational change looks like. I had, so, so those aspects of um, agility began to get laid down a little bit more heavily as I'm transitioned out of that. It wasn't, so I started my current company, Team Catapult, in 2005. And um, it wasn't until I I started Team Catapult that I really began to um, get more involved into pursuing that agile space. Uh, What it you know, what it meant to bring, facilitation was one of the first things we started to look at in bringing the mm-hmm. skills of collaboration, because um, that was sort of the thing that I had always been passionate about anyways. And I saw agility as, I think the thing that I really latched onto between sort of the startup company going to work in an org change firm and then launching my own firm was 
agility was bringing the conversation of facilitation, organizational change, individual change, like those things that really, I, since I came out of the technology world as a technologist, I used to refer to them as soft skills. Mm -hmm. I sort of hate that phrase now, but um, the, you know, they were, agility was making it okay. And, and actually not even okay. It was making it more desired to talk about soft skills in the tech space. And that was the new bridge that I wanted to pursue. When I it really is amazing that. how um, Agile has been such a vehicle for bringing um, such a diverse set of skills and competencies to social consciousness. Yes. yes. Um, and I, I and I feel like there's something emerging in our community that we're about to kind of have a whole new wave of it. And I don't know what that sense is, but I have this sense of five years from now is not going to be like it is today in yeah. some sort of way that I can't even begin to imagine. I, you know, I think one of the things that agility, the whole agile movement has gotten right is that it, that it was a movement. It's really mm -hmm. hard to define it. If you talk to somebody who's sort of external from it entirely, I've, I'm always challenged by when I use phrases like agile, people go, well, what is, what is that? But I think one of the things that we got right was it's been a movement and yeah. like, so, so or, organization development, there's, there are, there's a whole professional um, sphere of that with uh, people who have masters and doctorates in that space and uh, professionals who are in organizations. And they're, they too are up to the same kinds of things we've been up to in Agile since the beginning. I think when I look at, or when I look inside organizations today though, those that have made forward progress on actually changing their culture have done that way more from the movement of agility than they have from having um, organization development specialists or organization co development coaches come in and support them. So I, there's something that I think we've accomplished in terms of what you like what you said, raising the conscious level of leadership and organizational change and culture change. I think we've well, there's lots of things that can still there's lots of room, there's lots of opportunities. I think we've made a lot of progress there too. Yeah. It makes me wonder if there's something about Agile that gives a different sort of transcendent purpose. And like we are in the pursuit of agility. And mm. so in order to get that, we must mm. do these other things versus taking a pure culture, organizational development lens to it. Yep. While there's lots of deep training and expertise in organizational change and individual change, Maybe it feels a little bit more like, but in the pursuit of what? Just making this a better place? Yeah. I, and you know there, what, there's something missing. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. I don't know. Like, I just like, yeah. I, I, I just want to sit and ponder that one for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great point, you know, that you make about having, having a shared purpose that we're aligned to. Um, yeah. So you've yeah, thrown out the word facilitation several times. We've talked about coaching mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, the new book, right, that you've got coming out, you know, lead yep. effective, um, right, all about leading effective collaboration and agile teams through that kind of art and science of facilitation. One, I love that you talk about it as art and science, because mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely true. Um, but I'm not sure everybody in our community is 100% clear on like the purest definition of the word facilitation. 
Um, because there is, to your point, an actual profession around what it means to be a facilitator. Yeah. I, you know, um, <laughs> I think that facilitation is one of those things. Well, so here's how I think about it. Facilitation, I think by its very definition, like uh, the origins of the word mean uh, ease, like to make it easy. And um in all the work that I have done, I think one of the things that I've come to believe is that it is when we come together face-to-face in communication and collaboration, it's those conversations that we have that form the basis of uh, really what happens in our team, what happens in the organization, the culture that gets set into an organization. I think it all comes down to the crux of conversation, like how we communicate with one another. And it's sort of like we were talking a few minutes ago about our innate nature to control and and we're still, we're human. And so there's some aspect of agility and sort of letting go of control that's at play there. I think there's something about our communications that we, um, it's for some, it might be a natural skill for many of us. I think it's a learned skill and like learning to navigate what those conversations look like in order for them to be effective, in order for us to have um, a shared understanding, in order for us to have shared purpose. um, And that we come together in those conversations in a way that propels, you know, a team, an organization, a product forward versus like getting stuck in the muck and Mm -hmm. spinning our wheels. So I think that's one of the passions that I have around um, facilitation. I think facilitation is about helping individuals, teams, groups uh, collaborate together in a in a more effective way than what they might ordinarily do if they were just left on their own. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that's the um, I I, I kind of like that phrase that you said if they were just left on their own, um, mm-hmm. because sometimes. We, as a team member, we try to self-facilitate ourselves because that sounded grammatically correct. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there is really something about the idea that when you're really in the middle of the content, you can't really be a participant and a facilitator at the same time. Yeah. Um, And that, that becomes really challenging. And so I think the... If you leave people on their own, they may try to self-facilitate, but truly coming in as a facilitator and holding that space for them and creating kind of the the patterns that they can navigate to work through whatever that content it is, um, Mm -hmm. is a real gift that I think few people have ever actually really experienced in their lives. Because it's like, oh, I'm here, I'm part of the team, and I'm going to be our facilitator today is kind of the norm that people get into. Yes, I think that's really, that's so true. Um, I think the two, some of the challenges that I see when people are trying to facilitate, one is, I'm not sure that, um, that there's a great deal of awareness that facilitation is actually, there is a whole professional body um, and set of competencies around mm-hmm. facilitation um, in and of itself. But aside from that, um, I do think that people, especially in corporations uh, where I've done some work, there is this um, kind of assumption, especially by senior leaders, that facilitation is not something that you would 
you would train anybody to do. Like everybody does it. If I facilitate, if I book the meeting and order the pizza and make sure that everybody that's supposed to attend attends and that I create an agenda. And I think the other place where people get hooked a little bit is um, if I'm facilitating, then I'm also contributing. And to be a value facilitator, if a group gets stuck, then I need to have the answer for them. Or I need to be providing my my perspective or my point of view um, in order to help move the group along because a good outcome to a meeting will look like we get everything accomplished that we said we would and we have clear decisions. And if, and if it feels like the group isn't making the decision, then I'll just make it for them. I think those are some of the places that people get um, hooked a little bit. And you, what you just said is so true, which is to truly facilitate um, requires this unbiased, neutral perspective where you're not taking sides, where you're paying more attention to what's happening in the group. Uh, when the group gets stuck, you're helping them get unstuck. You're not solving something for them or contributing or valuing one person's opinion over another. Um, and that comes out in lots of little ways. But, you know, to do that, to tr truly play that role, it's really difficult to be yeah. a participant and a facilitator. Yes, lots of self-management involved in that. It is. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get hijacked by your own, your own brain. Right. <laughs> So, um, you, the, you're a co-founder, uh, with the IC agile coaching as well as the enterprise coaching learning tracks. And I know mm -hmm. that, um, team facilitation is one of those kind of competency sets and certifications available in just the coaching track. Um, but yeah. I mean, dream for a little bit, right? Do you think that in the same way that we've seen, um, professional coaching become something very normal for us to be talking about mm. and exploring in the agile industry. Do you think that we'll see professional coaching competencies really make that same surge at any given point? Mm, you mean professional facilitation? Yes, yes, yes. Professional facilitation. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, if I got to dream, I would say, I really hope so. Um, when we, you know, when we authored the, uh, team coaching track um, with IC Agile, we made a really conscious choice uh, that the competencies defined for both facilitation and, and professional coaching in that track were not all the way up to the professional level, right? So not, uh, the bar is, is a subset mm -hmm. um, in the IC Agile track for both professional facilitation and professional coaching. Um, but if I got to dream about it, I sure do hope that um, both professional facilitation and professional coaching skills will make their way into the agile space. I think that there is so much value in um, working on how we come together and communicate and collaborate with one another. And there's so much lost opportunity. You don't walk into any organization today, especially agile um, teams where Somebody won't tell you, we feel like we spend our whole day in meetings. Yeah. And there's so many um, moments, I think, of opportunity where those meetings could actually be less or they could move faster or they wouldn't have to have as many of them if they were done in a different way that allowed for more effective communication collaboration. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. That's another thing I want to sit and ponder for a little while. How do we how do we allow that to emerge in a in a different way within 
our, um, mm. our community and, or not in a different way, but just a more pervasive way. Cause I think we all talk yeah. about facilitation a lot and we see different techniques and we're exposed to it. Um, but really getting a little more intimate with that body of knowledge. I, um, have flirted with going and getting, um, professional certification and facilitation back since mm. I was a business analyst before I even found, um, agile. And so it's been one mm. of those things. And I ended up, um, choosing the, the coaching path, but, um, there are yeah. days when I go, Hmm, maybe facilitation, <laughs> I should have done it. And there's still plenty of time. There's still time. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> there absolutely. is time. Well, Marcia, as we wrap up today, we've covered a, a lot more ground and went a lot of different directions than what I was expecting, which mm-hmm. is what I love about these conversations, but what <laughs> final sort of wisdom and guidance do you want to leave with our listeners? Mm. I think, you know, one of my, um, as I came through my own journey from, you know, finding a, well, I actually came to facilitation, then came to agility and then came to professional coaching. And, um, I think one of my lessons along the way has been, um, for me to find my own voice. And I, it's, it's not that it, it's not that I didn't have it, but it is that I would have these moments of insight or thought, and I didn't always share it. Um, and I think that's what I, one of the wishes and the hopes that I have for anybody today um, is find it, like find your voice and, and, and speak up. Yeah. <laughs> it's really needed. It's valuable. Um, there's so much that I appreciate now about difference, uh, the different perspectives, different viewpoints. Um, but I, you know, finding the voice and then also um, being able to listen yeah. to others that are different and have a different perspective in view. So. Yeah. And I, I love that you brought up that second lens of it. Cause I do think that's a special way that we need to be listening as the women in agile community right now, because as we're seeking, right, many of us are still seeking to find our own voices and to make that impact. Um, we've got yeah. to really be listening in a special way to notice when our colleagues are doing the same thing and to mm. appreciate and encourage and give them the space to do it. Um, yeah. Because the last thing we want to do is end up competing with each other more um, yes. versus really being each other's allies and how can our ideas work together and how can our voices work together to create something new. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well said. <laughs> Anything else, Marcia, before we wrap up today? I don't think so. I have... Um... I've enjoyed it and I'm excited about where I, I love what you said earlier about kind of what's happening in agility and where the movement's going to take us next. It's kind of exciting to be part of it. Yeah. I want to um, create a bookmark reminder to come back and listen to this in a couple years and be like, what has changed and what has happened? Um, mm-hmm. Sort of as a, as a little um, digital, um, oh, what were those things that we would bury at, uh, at school? Um, digital time oh, capsule. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually be kind of a fun thing if we were going to make a agile digital time capsule. What would that we would put in awesome. it? Yeah. It's, oh. a, it's a different way of doing a retrospective too. <laughs> it is. It is. There's something yeah. to this. Um, yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, social media posts to come. <laughs> <laughs> well, Marcia, thank you awesome. so much for playing with me in this conversation today. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Thank you. 
I appreciate you being here. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Women in Agile podcast series. It's brought to you in partnership from the Women in Agile nonprofit organization and Accenture Solutions IQ. We hope you've learned something new and invite you to tell a friend or a coworker about the podcast. And you can go online to womeninagile.org to read more about our initiatives and find other inspiring podcast conversations. Thanks for listening to this Women in Agile podcast episode. Find more inspiring conversations by visiting womeninagile.org podcast, checking out the podcast series on iTunes, or visiting your podcast application of choice. If you have an idea for a topic, speaker, or feedback on an episode, please reach out to us via email through podcast at womeninagile.org.